Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. today, Genesis 11, we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel, and we're going to talk about um, Abraham, before he became Abraham, um, when he was still Abram. So um, not much to announce. We got Father's Day coming up, so we got some stuff happening at, at our locations this week, this coming weekend. Um, so hey, if you got a father, brother, husband, whoever, drag them to church. We got something special for them today, or for this this weekend. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to dive right into it. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, Father, for your faithfulness, and we thank you, Lord, for your, for your word, Lord God. That's, that's always true, Father, and, and there's so much we can learn and we can glean from your word, Lord God, Father, that we, we, can, we can take with us throughout our lives, Lord God. So Father, I pray that you would be with us during this brief time that we get to we get to share and, and dig into your word, Lord God, Father. I pray that it be your words that are heard, not mine, Father. I pray that I would fade to the background, Lord God, and, and it'll be just you. It'll be just you that we, we, we look to, Lord God. And we can see your, your fingerprint in all of our history. We praise you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so Genesis 11, and as usual, I am reading from the New King James Version. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they will have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begat Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begat sons and daughters. Arphaxad lives 35 years and begat, begat Salah. After he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begat sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. 
Rue lived 32 years and begot Sarug. After he begot Sarug, Rue lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Sarug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Sarug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begat Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name, of, uh, the, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was, Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his, son's, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Amen. Amen. All right. It's not fair that I have two days in a row of reading all these names. Man. Whew. You know, I have a say on who does what soap. I'm going to make sure everyone else from now on gets all the names. This dude beget that dude or whatever. Okay, so I'm going to get right into it. Starting with verse one, it says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. There was, this was a time where humanity spoke one language instead of the hundreds that we know today. Okay, we know that after the flood and Noah's sons, they... Um, they went out and they were, you know, they were having more kids and they were, you know, the population was, was exploding at that time from the sons of Noah, but they didn't disperse these, these descendants of Noah, right? You know, God gave us, a, gave them a command, be fruitful and multiply, go out into all the earth, right? And, and they didn't do that. They just chilled all in the same area. The land of Shinar in verse two, it was the Shinar is a term used for Babylon, right? We read about that in Genesis 10. Um, the multiplied descendants from the ark came together to build a great city and a tower. Now, this was in direct rebellion against God's command to spread over all the earth, okay? So it's like, it was only so many generations pr previous to this that you were commanded again, to spread over the whole earth. And they were in direct rebellion. You know, it's like they just completely forgot what God had commanded. Verse three says, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And it also says they had asphalt for mortar. Using these baked bricks and, and asphalt, they, they were gonna build this tower that was both, both strong and waterproof, All right? Even as, you know, it, as Noah used the same types of, of, of material, like the mortar to, and the tar to, to waterproof the ark, they were going to do the same thing for this tower, you know, and it's also interesting that later in, in the book of Exodus, we're going to read about Moses and how his mother used same types of material to waterproof the ark that she pushes Noah in, in, in the basket um, down the river in Exodus 2, but that's, we're not going to get, get ahead of ourselves. But it says, come, let us build ourselves a city, verse four. See, the heart and the materials relevant to the Tower of Babel shows that it was not only disobedient, 
to God's command to fill the earth in Genesis 9, but it also shows man did not believe God's promise to never flood the earth. The waterproof tower was made to protect man against the future flood. God had already promised them, I will not destroy the earth by flood again, right? And God's all, all of God's promises are yes and amen. If God says it's going to happen, or if God says it's not going to happen, you, you bet everything you have on that promise. Amen. But these people completely forgot the worldwide flood. You know, there's so many cultures all throughout the world that in their, in their history, they speak of a flood. So we know the flood actually happened. And the promise of God was that it will not happen again. And these people completely forgot. They built this tower. They waterproofed this tower. They built this tower high, right? In fear of another flood. In fear of that God was going to destroy the earth again. So they believed that there was a God. At the, you know, they, they still believe there was a God. But they forgot about the promise. What are the promises in your life right now that God has made? What are the promises that God has spoken over you? And instead of heeding those promises and listening to those promises and, 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 and reminding God as if he needs to be reminded, like, God, you said, but no, what do we do? We make other plans just in case God's promises don't happen. Just in case God, you know, God doesn't work it out. We try to do the work of God for him too often, right? And so these people, they were building this tower. You know, it says the top of the tower was intended to be in the heavens. Now, and it's doubtful that they were really trying to get to heaven, okay? Right, and, and, and one of the reasons for that is that they wouldn't have built it where they were at. Right. They, they built it in the land of Shinar. Shinar is a flat land. It's at sea level. Right. So if you're going to if you are intending to build a tower to legit make it up into the heaven. Right. Why aren't you going to build this tower like up on a mountain? Right. That's going to get you closer to heaven. Right. But they built it um, at sea level. Right. They didn't they didn't go any higher. So the point is, so they didn't really, they didn't really think um, we're going to make it to heaven if we do this, right? They was more like they were, it was going to be an observation point of the heavens. They wanted to make it high enough to where no floods can get to them and they could observe, right? And they thought, and they were, they were operating in their flesh. They were operating in fear. They felt God might do this again. So to protect ourselves from the coming wrath of God, that's not really going to come. We're going to build a tower. We're going to, we're going to do something that is in direct defiance of what God had commanded them. Right. So, so this tower was real. This was a real thing. Okay. Uh, the Greek historian Herodotus said the tower of Babel still stood in his day and, and he has seen it, you know, so even Herodotus who was, who was around, you know, hundreds of thousands of years later, you know, there were still remnants of this tower. It was a real thing. And it says, the Lord came down to the city and the tower. 
Now the personal character of the language that was used here indicates that this was a time when God came in the form of man, when God came in the person of Jesus Christ. It's just another example of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, Jesus walking around, you know, because God is spirit, but Jesus is the, is, is the form of man that, that he came down. And so Jesus comes down and he's walking around. He's looking at this and he says, and, and if we go to verse seven, it says, let us go down. So this plural reference to us is another subtle reference to the Trinity. You know, just like when he says, let us make man in our own image. You know, he's saying, let us go down. Let's go see what these people are doing. You know, not to say that he didn't, he couldn't see from heaven, but let's get down and personal. Let's get in the, let's get, let's get in the thick of things and see what's happening. Verse six says, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. The potential for fallen man is terrible. The potential for fallen man is powerful. You know, when we think of the horrific accomplishments of evil men, in the 20th century alone, the, the great ability of men and nations is, is painful to consider. And so they see this and they're like, they have the potential for greatness, but they have the potential for great evil as well. And before these things get out of hand, we're going to scatter them. Verse eight, so the Lord scattered them abroad. The forced separation of, of men from Babel was more God's mercy than his judgment. So see, because in dividing man, um, both linguistically and geographically, God put a, a check on the power of man. He put a check on their fallen nature. It's like he's saying, okay, I'm God. I know if you guys, if, if nothing happened, nothing, nothing stops this, you guys are going to just continue to do evil, evil, evil. That's it. Done. Scattered. Go. This tells me God, Scott, God, God told us, you know, to, 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 to spread out on the earth, right? This tells me that if you ain't going to do things, sometimes if you're not going to do what God is uh, as commanding you to do, sometimes he may have to force your hand but it's for our benefit because there are times and there are saints on this call when God has given you a command and, and you know, I'm supposed to do this, but I don't know. I don't know how much faith I have. I don't know if that's really going to happen and God's going to force your hand. And when you look back, you're like, see, if I wasn't a knucklehead back then, God wouldn't have had to do this here. So God is going to scatter them. And verse nine says, the Lord confused the language Languages over all the earth. See, see the, this division of languages is a very fascinating subject. Modern linguists um, know that man did not invent language. Most believe that language is so unique that the only way they can explain it apart from God is to say it was evolution, right? So modern linguists, it was either God created language or we just evolved languages and, you know, God created language. Amen. You know, but but language um, is so complex because languages exist in whole systems. You know, most modern linguists believe that all languages originated 
from one language. And these aren't linguists who probably, they probably don't read the Bible. They probably don't believe this book that we love so much. But even they say modern languages, all modern languages derived from one original language. From there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Imagine what it was like for a family to leave the area of Babylon and, go, uh, and, of Babel and go on their own. They have to look for a suitable place to live, you know, and once they find it, they have to exist on hunting and gathering and, and living in crude living conditions or finding a cave to live in. Now families would multiply and their own cultures would begin to develop um, and their own distinctive and, and physical characteristics would be influenced by their environment. You know, that's why we're so different. Look at this, look at all the, the, the faces on this call. We have all, all shades, all colors, you know, and all originated right here because when the people were forced to scatter, now they were, they were, they, they were forced to change. They were forced, they were forced to, to develop their own culture, their own systems or everything. And, and the, 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 the whole account of what happened at Babel with its anti-God dictator and, and, and there's, there's a whole much more we can get into it as far as you know who you know was running you know Babel and, and why they wanted to do all this there's, there's so much more tradition we can get into um, you know it's organized rebellion against God because this was an organized rebellion against the Lord it's direct distrust of God's promise all this shows that man hasn't gotten any better since the flood they haven't gotten any better. Sin is still had taken root. Time, progress, governments that were established, organization have made, may have made man better off, but they haven't made man better. But now we're going to begin to see you know, how, how God's going to begin to make man better. And he will start as he always starts with a man who will do his will. Even if he does not do his will perfectly, but a man who's going to do his will. Beginning with verse 10, we have the, the genealogy of Shem. And this genealogy is, is, is of special note because it will eventually be a part of the messianic line. From the line of Shem, eventually we're going to have our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is the same genealogy that we see in Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament. Shem is very important because from him, Christ is going to come, right? If we go down to verse 24, um, I'm not going to discuss all this dude begat that dude. And we, it's just too much right there. So verse 24, Nahor lived 29 years and begat Terah. Nahor and Terah, Terah were the grandfather and father of Abraham. The promise to bring forth deliverance from the seed of the woman that we read about in Genesis 3 would find its fulfillment through this family. Nahor lived uh, 70 years and he begot Abram. This verse this is the first mention of Abram, who later will become Abraham. Abram is mentioned 302, uh, 312 times in 272 verses in the Bible. He's arguably the most famous man in all of the Old Testament. And certainly he was one of the most influential men in history. The book of Genesis covers more than 2,000 years 
and more than 20 generations, yet it spends almost a third of the text on the life of one man, Abraham. Abraham is so, so important. Verse 27, Terah begat Abram. Abram is unique in what he is called. In, in James chapter 2, verse 23, he's called a friend of God. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, it says, Abraham, your friend forever. In Isaiah 41, 8, it says, Abraham, my friend. We all know the value of having friends in high of, of, uh, uh, of having friends in high places. But Abram had a friend in the highest place. Men and women of the Bible um, are famous for many, many different things. Abram is known for his great faith. Moses is being a great lawgiver. Joshua being a great general. Daniel, uh, David being a great king. Elijah being a great prophet. And most of us can, can we know we're never going to be those things, right? I'm never going to be a general. I'm never going to be a king. But every single one of us can be a friend of God. Every single one of us can have that relationship. Don't think that because it happened in the Old Testament that it can't happen now, that we can't, have a, we, we can't be a friend of our creator. Because if you, if you believe that, that is a lie. We, are, we can be friends of God, but it's up to you because God is here. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in the temple, removing that separation between us and God. And Jesus is that great mediator between us and God. We can have a relationship. We can have a friendship with God. Think about that. The creator of all, of everything, of everything, wants to be your friend wants to be your friend. Those of us who have really good friends, best friends, people we can rely on, we can talk to, you know, we can share our secrets with, we can, we can be real with. God wants to be that. And God can be that. And even greater than any, any human friend we can ever have. So if you, if you, if you and it talks about Abraham's faith, if, if you despair and not having Abram's faith, take comfort in knowing that you have Abram's God. We, have, we, we serve and worship the same God. We, he can build in you the faith of Abram because he built it in Abram himself. So if you think you don't have faith, I'm going to challenge you. We all have some faith. We all have a, a little bit of faith. When, when uh, you're going to go to a, a, a football game or a baseball, any sporting event, you're going to buy a ticket, right? You have faith that that ticket's going to be honored. It's going to be valid. Unless you go to a scalper, you know, and get a, get a fake ticket. But you have faith that that ticket is going, to, is going to be valid. If you go on a plane, you're going to travel somewhere. You have faith in that pilot. You have faith in, the, in that plane. Even though planes crash you have faith that everything's going to work out fine you plan a weekend right you're going to go out you're going to go to the beach i'm going to the beach this weekend i'm going to do all the you know i want to go in the sand i'm going to go in the water it's the weather report is going to be a beautiful day you have faith that that weather report is going to be be accurate but don't we know 
there are a lot of times when that weather report doesn't come, isn't accurate to what the weatherman said, but we still have faith that's going to be accurate. You still have faith and God can build on whatever faith you have. Then Abram, Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. It's very unique that one of the first, thing, first ways they describe her is that she's barren. She's unable to bear children. But the name Abram means father. So it must have been an awkward embarrassment for Abram to explain that he had no children. Because he would say, hey, my name is Abram. And they know. My name is father, but you ain't got no kids, homie. Like, oh, well, you know, because uh, uh, names in ancient times, they were so important. But this present lack of children will play an important role in God's plan of redemption. You know, and in the coming chapters, we're going to read about, you know, the, the promise that God made to Abram. So they went out, verse 31 with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Abram's story begins in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is Babylon, all right? His family, so this, when I read this, it tells me that when God scattered everyone from Babel, Abram's family, those previous generations before Abram, they stayed in the area, right? They hadn't left yet. Um, Joshua 24, 2 describes Abram before the, law, the Lord had called him. It says that they served other gods. And he was from a family of idol worshipers. Jewish traditions say that um, Abraham's uh, family, they made idols. Right? They were, so they were idol makers. And Jewish tradition even goes further that when, when um, part of the way that Abram, and again, this is Jewish tradition, okay? This is not biblical. But Jewish tradition tells us that um, when Abram was called by God, one of the way, things that convinced him that this God was, was uh, uh, the real God is because he thought in his heart, he was like, I'm creating this idol. I'm making these gods, right? So I'm going to create this thing that I'm going to put on a shelf and that I'm going to worship. So why am I going to worship this thing that I created when I could worship myself? But I didn't create myself. And as he thought about it and processed it, you know, well, I was created by something. You know, why don't I worship the person who created all of this? Why don't I worship? Why, you know, and, and again, idols, they worship all kinds of things. Why am I going to worship the wind and not the person who created the wind? Why am I going to worship fire and not the person who created fire? And that's how Abraham's conversion According to Jewish tradition, remember that, according to Jewish tradition, how, how, how Abram came to know more about God, because it was like, I cannot worship, I cannot worship this idol, I created this. It makes no sense for me to create, to, to create something and then worship it as a God and offer sacrifice to this thing that I just crafted with my own two hands. And we know later on, we're going to read in, later on in Genesis that Jacob, Abram's grandson, he's going to go back to Abram's um, homeland and to Abram's relatives, and they're going to still be worshiping idols. This tells me that when God calls you to something, 
he may, he's calling you to go somewhere, but at the same time, he's calling you out of something else. And it may not make sense because if God has, God has called you to, to do something and you're doing it and you're being obedient and you look back on what's happening from where you came from, the lifestyle you live, the places you live, the friends you had, the things you did, you can see they're going nowhere. They're still stuck. That's why obedience is so important. And it says when uh, they came to, to Haran and dwelt there, when Abraham received the call from God, he was only halfway obedient in two ways. First, he, he brought his father along. He brought Terah and his nephew Lot. You know, but the Lord called, uh, Lord called Abram. He said, go out of your country and from your family. So, so he, the Lord told Abram, go, just you, just your wife, and go. But he brought daddy along. He brought nephew along. So he was, he was being disobedient. Second, Abram stopped for a time and dwelt in Haran. And that's not where God told him to go. Because he said, go to the place I will show you. God didn't show him Haran. But he stopped anyway. Charles Spurgeon wrote, writes, halfway obedience increases our responsibility because it is, a plain, it is a plain confession that we know the Lord's will, though we do not. Halfway obedience puts more responsibility on ourselves. Verse 32, and I'm going to close here, says, Terah died in Haran. The name Terah means delay. Delay. Haran means parched and barren. When Abram was in partial obedience, then delay and barrenness marked his life. So when we knowingly disobey God, we often delay the outworking of his plan in our lives. And we also experience barrenness. We also often experience a parched life where we're seeking something continually. But if we just stop what we're doing, and obey what the Lord is telling us. Be obedient. I know it's hard. I know it's tough because listen, we're, we're human and we wanna be in control of everything. But I'm telling you right now, I am a living witness, a living testimony of what can happen when you stop working out of your own strength, your own power, making your own decisions and you obey what the Lord is telling you. My family is here because we, we, we decided to stop living lives for our, our, ourselves and obey what the Lord has commanded us. And look at the fruit. And I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging on God because only God can do it. And that's what's the great thing about it. Because when we let God do it, he will do it in a way that we can only brag on him. Cumberland County location makes no sense right? Makes no sense. But look what God is doing in this area right now. And Pastor Brennan talks about all the time. We launched a location during a pandemic. I'm sure some of the elders on this call, when we were talking about, it, they were like, I don't know about this. But we trusted. They trusted God. They were obedient. And look what's happening. The lives have been changed. The salvations that, uh, let me, let me tell y'all a quick little story, then I'm going to, I'm going to end this. 
there was a gentleman who came to Cumberland County this past weekend. The hospital is just down the road from where, from where we're located at. My man came out of the ER walking, walked by the church, saw welcome home and made a detour onto the property. Came in, got a cup of coffee. Obviously did not serve the Lord, not one bit. Okay, let's just be transparent about that. And he sat down in the service. And at the end of the service, when I did the call to salvation, hand shot straight up. He got prayer. He got a Bible. My man stayed for welcome home class, hung out. And then he, we had a conversation and he was telling me all kinds of things about his life. And whew, my man's lived some life. And then he, he proceeds to tell me, I want to get baptized next week. So if hindsight being 2020, if the leaders of this church did not have the faith and the boldness to stand on the promises of God and, and proceed with the opening of this location. This man, who knows where he'd be right now? Lives being changed. And each and every one of you are part of it. God is doing something in your life. You just need to stop and be obedient. Go where he tells you to go. Do what he tells you to do and don't do it halfway. Because if you do it halfway, your life will be marked with barrenness. Your life will be parched because you are not living in the, in the promise of God. You are living and working out of your own strength and, your, and your, your own power. And that's when we fall. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord God. I pray, Father, that as you continue to speak to us, as you continue to reveal yourself to us, Father, Lord, that we will be able to stand boldly on your promises, Father. That we won't look to, to the storms that are going around us, Father, that we just continue to keep our eyes fixed on you through everything that we do. Father, I praise you for what you're doing in our lives. I praise you for what you're doing in, the, in, in Fusion Church and the lives that we are being able to touch because we are just your hands and feet and we're just being obedient. Be with us as we go into this, this next week, Lord God. I pray that there'll be more hearts that are going to be turned towards you. There are going to be more first-time guests who are going to walk through the doors of one of our locations or even clicking a link online, and they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for what you're doing. In your holy, precious name, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Love you guys.